Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and you're listening to the Lakeside Church Weekly Message Podcast. This is where we broadcast our Sunday morning teaching, so if you missed it or want to hear it again, you're in the right place. Every week we try to teach God's Word in a way that is real so that it becomes alive to you as you hear it. If this message speaks to you in any way, let us know by clicking on our website's contact page at lakesidelife.org, where you can find out more about the church, watch some videos, and even give online. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, and uh, verses 1 through 9. Man, interesting story here. Um, certainly one of those stories that's up along the lines in terms of far out stories, along the lines of Noah and the flood, along the lines of Jonah and the whale, right? Along the lines of the walls of Jericho falling down, of the sun standing still in the sky, along the lines of these miraculous uh, sort of uh, events in a sense of just like, man, it's like the kind of stuff that you can't imagine happening now. It's like a real work of God and Uh, I want to talk through it, and so I want to read through it. Here's a painting, um, by the way, of the Tower of Babel that was done. um, Oh, this is like 1500s. I think this is the one from the 1500s. Anyway, I had always seen it before, and it's in full color, so it has to be later on, right? So they only had black and white before, Um, (laughs) just like your TV. Um, So you ever notice that? The Bible was written in first century, so it's all in black and white, but these were painted. Is that how that works? No, okay. Never mind. Okay. Um, so uh, anyway, so this is, um, this is the story. Let me tell you the story, okay? Uh, we've read through the passage, but this is sometime after the flood, okay? And sometime after the flood, I'll get into the history in a little bit because it'll make more sense to go backward later. Um, sometime after the flood, all people on earth... Uh, had joined together and were speaking one language and came into one place and they decided to build a tower that, you know, and, and the phrase is to touch the sky. And so because of that, I was taught in Sunday school, that meant they wanted to build a tower so they could get up to heaven. It was like the ultimate uh, divine Jack and the Beanstalk story. You get what I'm saying? But that, that ne- wasn't necessarily what it was. It definitely was about making a name for themselves because that's what the scripture uh, says. And so the Lord saw this and uh, he looked down and said, this is actually not a good idea. And if I let them uh, succeed at this, it's kind of a strange passage for us to read about God. It kind of signals the difference maybe in character for some of us. He said, if I let them do this, nothing will be impossible for them. So I need to mess this up. And, so, and, and uh, then they're scattered uh, across the earth. That's kind of the story that's there, okay? I want to read it one more time, and then we'll get into teaching it. Uh, So, now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth." But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they had begun to do this, then nothing they planned to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. (coughs) So let's just kind of look at this sort of, I guess, investigatively, and uh, try to figure some of this out, what's actually um, going on. So uh, we'll do like uh, who, sorry, James, uh, where, 
And uh, we'll do when, we'll do what, okay? And then uh, we'll leave why for after. Okay, so uh, the who that this story is talking about is everyone on earth, okay? Um, this is, again, sometime after the flood um, because there seems to be a great many people that exist at the time. And I know we're only a few chapters removed, but there's a lot of time that passes sometimes in between these pa- passages in Genesis. And we know from the flood narrative that um, everyone on earth would be a descendant of Noah and his sons. Okay? And so it's everyone on earth at the time. This is who it was. Where was it? Well, it was uh, uh, in a place that we would refer to as uh, Babylon. Um, smart people tell me about 50 miles south of Baghdad. Um, no, and uh, Dave was telling me, I think this morning they must have been looking at some things. They were talking like, this is still the same area where they build like the tallest building in the world. The, uh, what's that called again? The Abu, uh, I forget what it's called. But anyway, it's pretty impressive. And uh, it was really cool in uh, Mission Impossible 3. So, um, no, Mission Impossible 4, sorry. Yeah, that's what it was. You can remember Tom Cruise, you know. So anyway, plus Ricky Fowler hit a bunch of golf balls from the helipad there. So, Roy McElroy, yeah. So anyway, uh, Babylon, um, you know, this is the place where it is. What's interesting about it is, you know, we, we look at this and we sometimes wonder, like at least I do. I, I like to own up to the parts of Scripture that I look at somewhat, not skeptically, but I look at with another eye and I was like, let me find out how much history we have uh, pointing toward this. Um, there's lots of historical record that um, back during this time in Babylon, the archaeological evidence says that these people like to build a lot of great big buildings. As a matter of fact, there's some building that they've uncovered. It's the most famous one. Um, it's back then uh, in, in Babylon. They called these things ziggurats. And the most famous one, it starts with an E. And I think there's a Z in there. I can't remember what it was, but if you look on Wikipedia, it's probably going to be there. It's, it's been the traditional name of the uh, what people would think is the Tower of Babel because... Um, best as they can figure, the guy who built this was a guy um, named Nimrod, <coughs> um, who was mentioned in chapter 10, actually. Great warrior and leader among men. A William Wallace type, but the evil kind, you know. It's like Hitler Wallace. So, um, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, anyway, this... Uh, uh, so back, th- so that's what we have historically. We find that th- there are these big uh, buildings. Uh, we also know that uh, traditionally, if you've watched Tomb Raider, and who hasn't, or at least played the games, right? Which one is it? The Cradle of Life, right? So we understand, like, th- that's kind of a, a culturally, uh, you know, um, what's it, synonistic uh, thing. So there you go. Uh, that's not even a word. Um, but it, it's something that lines up with, with what we know about the uh, study of mankind, is that uh, this area of the earth is known as the Cradle of Life. It seems like everybody traces their ancestry at some point to this area. Okay, that's what we find just in study of uh, human history. Okay, and so that's kind of uh, compelling, I think. Now, uh, when? So this is a great time after the flood. Okay, so after the flood, but it's got to be some time after um, when um, there had been many people had come along. Okay, so... long time after that, okay? And then we get to, so what actually happened here? Why, and, and what I want to explain here is more in the, in the what section is, why is this a big deal? Why is God upset? Other than the whole line of they can make a name for themselves, which that's, you know, 
little dog whistle for us, right? That doesn't sound good. That sounds like they've got their own way and God has his own way. Why is this such a big deal? And I want to go back to where we started. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And what we read there is God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we come to Genesis 1. Let's, let's go down here. And we have uh, fill the earth. Okay? And then uh, what we have later is in Genesis chapter 9. Now Noah comes along. God destroys um, all the wicked in, in the world. Starts over with the only righteous family. And he says in Genesis chapter 9, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and, inf- and fill the earth. Right? And so we have God commanding them to increase in number and fill the earth, okay? What I find compelling about this is that sometimes uh, God gives different people different kinds of uh, challenges and uh, different things he wants them to do. For instance, um, uh, he gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of taking care of the garden, okay? When he starts over, that's not in play anymore. Doesn't give Noah necessarily the same thing. He doesn't put him in the same garden and things like this. But this hasn't changed, Right? This is what God wants humans to do. He says, I I want you to do this. I want you to stretch out across the globe, across all the corners of the earth. Genesis 9, 7, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Okay? So now we have a few um, uh, uh, verses that I didn't put them in the guide just for space, okay? But in Genesis 10, right before this chapter, this is context for you so you know exactly what's going on, right? The sons of Javan... Elisha, Tarshish, this is when he's uh, listing off the descendants of Noah and his sons, okay? The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. From these, the maritime peoples. Now, I'm from the maritimes in Canada, so this is my ancestry, okay? Maritimes means on the water, I think. But anyway, okay. Uh, spread out into their territories by their clans with their nations, each with its own language. This was kind of what was going on, okay? Okay. Um, you would think that they did that on purpose. They spread out because this was the command they were given. Okay, they spread out. This is the roots of the story that we get to. Okay, Genesis 10.32. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to the lines of his descent within their nations. From these nations spread out over the earth. Sorry, I skipped one, didn't I, Mark? I skipped one. Let's go back to that next one and we'll wrap up with this one. Genesis 10.15-18. through 18. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered. Okay? And so then in Genesis 10.32, kind of a summary of these. These are the clans of Noah's sons. According to their lines of descent within their nations, from these nations spread out over the earth after the flood. We get to chapter 11, okay? Get to chapter 11. Can we go back to Genesis chapter 11? Okay? So we've spread out. We've spread out now all over the earth. So this is going to be the first slide there, Mark, in in my series. So we've spread out all over the earth. God's commanded this, okay? Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech, right? So this is what God said to do, and this is what they did. And sometime later, we fill in the blanks and say, now, the whole earth had one language and one common speech. 
what do we assume? We assume at some point along the line, many points along the line, you know how sin works. We take a small step, and sometimes we take a big step. I'm one of those guys, I just jump both feet right in. Some of you kind of inch up to it, and then you get over the line. I just jump both feet right into sin, okay? But along the line, a lot of people did this kind of stuff, and we find themselves insanely far from what God wants. You ever find that in your life? Find yourself insanely far. All of a sudden you wake up one morning and you realize that you are completely off the mark. You realize that sometimes? Or are you that self-aware that you see it coming the whole way and you just don't care? Huh? Okay. I find I wake up one day and I just realize, how did I get here? And I can retrace myself and find out. I find out where I started going wrong. Okay. Man, that was stupid. But I seem to go through the spurts, right? And then finally I wake up and realize where I am. Oh, man. It's awful. And I know there's inappropriate metaphors uh, that start with drinking too much alcohol along that line. So maybe you, some of you can uh, relate to that more than I can. But this is where God wants us. This is where we end up. These guys are far from God at the time. That's how we start this out. And they said to each other, let's make bricks and bake them. And they come down here and they say... Uh, Come, let us build for ourselves, here in verse 4, a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we, two things, we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Exactly what God wanted, right? We need to make a name for ourselves or else we'll be scattered across the earth. If we don't do this, number one, we don't get what we want. And number two, because if we did do what God wants, he gets all the credit. How many of you are like me when you see a problem, <clears throat> you like to come up with a solution, okay? When stuff's going wrong in your family, when stuff's going wrong in your home, you like to come up with a solution. The first place I go to is the only mind I trust in the whole universe, Right up here. I can figure this out. If I need God's help, he's there. You know, that's where I go. I absolutely go there. As a matter of fact, I've actually learned to use lines on this, uh, about this with my wife. She'll come to me and say, well, honey, have you prayed about it? And I'll say, well, here's the deal, honey. I get up in the mornings and I do my devotions and I, I try to live within the spirit. And I just expect as long as I'm living in the spirit that whatever I'm thinking is whatever God's told me. I just expect that I'm naturally going to do, because lately I've been in God's Word and things like this, and so whatever's coming to my mind, that must be what God's telling me to do, uh, so I'm just going to go with that. That's my answer, okay? And uh, I'm trying to work through that, okay? Just acknowledging our shortcomings as we do here at Lakeside. She so just asked a simple question, have you prayed about it? It's a yes or no question, but I find a way to answer it differently, right? Well, you've got to understand, you know? How many of you do that, right? You answer yes or no questions with... Here's what you have to understand, right? So that's me. I can only assume this is pure speculation. What I've taught so far, I think, is I think we can assume that accurately. Pure speculation for me is uh, that somebody looked around and said, you know what, we're stronger together, and I've got a better idea for how we can flourish as people in the earth. Why in the world would we spread out? Why would we all have different languages? That just makes us, and now we have to have interpreters. This is a mess. Let's get together in one place. Let's all have the same language. Sounds sensible, right, to us. 
but it's totally off the mark what God wants. I don't know why God wants this. I just know that this back then, this is what God intended for his people and commanded not just the first man, but then when he restarted, commanded the people after that. And I also know that at some point, man walked away from this, as we always do. We walk away from God's plan for our life. So, Let me, let me just go over a few of these verses and just kind of explain a few of the little details and then I'll kind of get into the ending of this. Um, you know, we have this. I, I love that uh, in Genesis it often says in verse 7, come let us go down. I love the trinities involved here. I mean, God's always speaking in a communal aspect. Let us go down. Things like that. Confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. He says in verse 6, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That sounds a little petty uh, at first blush here, but um, uh, as I was studying through this, that's the one I got hung up on. And I just wanted to be able to have uh, some kind of an answer for that. And, and the answer really comes down to what has been established so far in the first 10 chapters about the nature of man. That um, basically the nature of man is uh, to be uh, deceitfully wicked, to, to constantly go their own way, to um, constantly um, uh, uh, yeah, turn away from God's way and, and figure out something else on their own. Right from the garden, right? I mean, Adam knew exactly what God said. Somebody convinced him. Right, but I mean, this is still better logically. I've actually had people recently tell me that, <clears throat> you know, what you're saying is true for most people. Because I think you gotta kind of have advice that works for everyone. But there are people who are smart enough that they can do it a different way. I hear that. That's the rationale we all use. That's what the problem is, okay? We weren't talking about biblical things. We were talking about money. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. We, we kind of, we put ourselves apart from everything else because... We all believe at some level that, you know, I can figure this out on my own. Do you know that that's in your nature? If you feel like you have a better idea than just if you just read Scripture literally, this is what God says, ah, there's more nuance. I think if I go a little bit my way, we'll end up and, and both of us will be happy. That's your nature. Each one of us has gone astray. Each one's turned to our own way. Okay, it's in your nature to think that your way is better. And so it's actually an act of sanctification, an act of growing in Christ to to constantly just recognize that dichotomy. And you're never convinced that God's way is better. You just trust that it is blindly. Okay, you just trust that the more you get to know God and the more you experience victory through him, you just assume, Okay, even now I'm 30 years in as a Christian and even now. I feel like this particular instance, my way is better, but I've got a track record behind me of knowing his is. So I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to go this way, okay? And what we have here, so in that respect, you've got to picture this now, okay? <clears throat> if as one people speak in the same language, they've begun to do this. Let me rephrase that. If the people are allowed to go their own way and succeed then nothing they plan to do, which is to go their own way and succeed, will be impossible for them. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction, is what Scripture says. If nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It's an act of love on the part of God to say, if I allow them to keep going their own way, they're going to destroy themselves. In my mercy... 
I will confuse their language and put an end to these plans because if they're allowed to go down that path and keep going right to the end, they're going to destroy themselves. Because my plan is over here and they're way off the reservation, right? I got to tell you, now I can relate to this. Even recently, right? I can realize that, man, I had started heading down a wrong path in certain areas of my life and I realized it ended horribly, but it ended sooner than I would have liked it. God kind of stepped in and put an end to my foolishness for me and it was painful because... You know, <laughs> I you know almost lose everything and things like that. But what would have happened if he would have just let me keep going? I don't even want to think about it. How many of you got a story like that, right? You got a story like that? Right. This is where we're at, right? <clears throat> Isaiah 66 says this. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne. This is about the idea that, you know, man would create something, you know, make a name for themselves. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Even, I could just stay just within the realm of, this is how much of a struggle it's been for me to try to help lead us to having a vision for our, the future of our property. I don't want to get to a place where I think that I'm doing something for God, that we're building a house for God. God owns everything, and if he allows to give us this stuff and we get to humbly accept that as a gift from him, we need to humbly steward that, faithfully steward that, as if, my goodness, he's done it all. It's been very much a struggle that way. And so now when we bring it down to a personal level, and I realize that when my son is misbehaving or when I'm worried about my daughter's future and the choices that she's going to make, what's the first thing I see? I have to figure out how to parent better. Is that not you? Because that's me. I need to parent better. Why is it that I am so obsessed with myself and my own abilities? Because I am. I just realized that so much this weekend. Not that, just went, you know, like let's say my son's misbehaving. And, and that's fine. It's, it's, you know, you, you see that and, 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 and you have an emotion that's like, I don't want that to happen. That's a proper parenting emotion. The improper thing is, I have got to figure out how to be a better parent. That's actually improper. At least in my universe, it's improper. Because that's me saying, if I did right, he'd turn out all right. What in the world is that? You know what I'm saying? If God is so merciful as to reach down and use his spirit to convict my son's heart, he's going to turn out to be a man of God. And if he doesn't, I don't care how good a parent I am, he won't. So when I have that emotion, why is it I'm not driven to my knees to say, God, please be merciful on my son? That's where I need to be driven but I'm driven inward into this heart of stone and made to say, I need to be a better parent. Now, where is it for you? That's where it is for me. Where is it for you? Is it in your finances and in your marriage when you're trying to be a better husband to have a better marriage? Is it just in your workplace? Where is it for you? 
Because somewhere along the line, you are going to be tempted this week, today, to be drawn away from what God's purpose is for you. And that little voice of conviction that comes across needs to, be, needs to have a megaphone put to it. And for me, this was the passage that did it for me, was reading this. James 4, 6 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, and so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Stop here for a second. You understand what I'm saying? You don't. Something's not right in your life. Maybe you're, for me, again, I mentioned my parenting. My kids aren't necessarily who I want them to be yet. And so I do something about it. I do something about it. And James says, you don't have because you don't ask God. You're driven inward. You quarrel amongst yourselves. For me, that even means, even when I'm, if I'm not quarreling with my wife about it, I'm quarreling amongst myself you know, on this. But I'm trying to find something. I don't have because I don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says... See, I'm not preaching on this last paragraph, and there's a lot there, isn't there? Uh, but this is what I was getting to. God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. <clears throat> and here's what I would say is that God is in the business of turning around these things. In Babylon, we have um, people coming together because what made sense to them was... This makes it hard on communication. So the first thing to do, let's drive ourselves inwards and let's figure this out. Because if we don't, maybe even somebody who's a, back then, a preacher, a prophet of God gets up and says, guys, I've written a new prophecy and I've realized that it's going to take a long time to translate this into many languages. So now I've realized that it's actually furthering God's purposes. If we all come together, I mean, you know what I mean? You can rationalize everything and say, this is what God would ultimately want. You know what God shows me in his word is that we've got Babylon and then we've got what I'm going to call reverse Babylon. Babylon is when everybody came together with one language and God confused the languages and spread them apart. If they would have had the right motives about it and all they were worried about is, then how is God's message going to get out? They might have had reverse Babylon, which happened in Acts chapter 2. When the whole world came together and had many languages and God made them hear one language, their own. You know what I'm saying? If we would allow God to be who he is, if we just allow him to have control, he'll take care of the things we're worried about. We don't have because we don't ask God. And we don't ask God because we don't understand how he's going to do it. And yet don't we know in our hearts that his ways are not our ways? Why won't we allow for God to amaze us and do these crazy things in our lives? And maybe these people would have had an Acts chapter 2 time when they came together not knowing the solution and God solved it by performing a miracle of the hearing and that's how the prophet's words could have gotten out. <clears throat> so 
I have one thing I want to wrap up with here. Um, I think part of the reason that we get here is because we teach a lot that um, God um, is loving, and that's absolutely true. God is on our side. Okay, that's really true, but sometimes we choose a different side than God. Um, he's on our side in that he doesn't want our destruction. Okay, but we tell ourselves these kind of things that God's loving and he's on our side. He's forgiving. Um, then we tell ourselves that he wants us, wants us to be happy. Right, I, didn't, I wonder if somebody would have said holy. So, but, it, but it is. We tell ourselves this. I think God wants us to be holy, though. But, he, you know, he wants us to be happy. So God is this. And so when we get an idea, a desire of our hearts, we automatically assume that's what God wants, too, because God wants me to be happy. What we forget is we don't know what truly makes us happy, and God does. That's why it's so important for us to understand that we have got to let God set up the rules. And at Lakeside, we teach so much grace and we teach so much about how God loves you because he did, he does. He sent his own son to die for you. He loves you that much. He doesn't want to spend eternity without you. And this is always true. And we're always going to teach this, but that's why every now and then I need to teach a lesson like this to understand that you understand that the heart of God's love doesn't, like it starts with that God is loving, but the second step is that we are awful. Like, God loves us, but make no mistake, the sin that you commit has offended God. He hates the sin that you have done. And it's greatly offended Him. So much so that His holiness, if I wrote holy in here, His holiness demands that in spite of His love for us, He has no choice because of His own character to respond to wickedness and sinfulness with sinfulness, with every fiber of his wrath and his indignation and his judgment. How does God respond to sin? Well, he responds with grace, right? We forget the character of God in his response to sin. His response to sin is death. That's God's response to sin. But his response to us is, now how am I going to figure this out? My character is I hate so bad, I just, every time I see sin, I pour out death. I pour out death. That's my nature. Sin deserves death. I have to eradicate all evil. But here's these people that I love, and they're sinful. What do I do with that? <clears throat> and he comes up with a way that's completely self-sacrificing, sends his own son, and pours out, the scriptures say, his whole, the totality of his wrath on sin pours out on his own son, turns his back on him. <clears throat> As the sin of the entire world and its punishment is laid on his own son. I want to encourage you today that God is a God of grace and he does love you and he did that for you. But I also want to encourage you that he knows better than you do and he knows better than I do. And if I learn anything this week, I want God to try to turn this heart of stone into a heart of flesh and uh, soften it and uh, cause me that every time things aren't going my way and every time I have questions, I begin with asking God. Question for you, application, you can put it in the why. It's, it's really that. It's so that, uh, why, why 
is this story in the Bible. That's what I'm trying to answer here. Is so that you, when you're faced with a situation, begin every time by asking God. And to make it real personal, I want to encourage you to do this before we pray. What do you know right now? You don't even have to have me preaching anymore. What do you know right now God is telling you? You're doing this right now. You're turning inward, and you need to turn upward and start asking me. Don't wait till you get home. Do it right now in the quietness of these moments, okay? There's something probably many of us, if not all of us, are struggling with that way. And uh, if you came to church and finally realized that, well, that's why we get together on Sunday mornings, isn't it? So that we can worship together and we can laugh together and sing together, cry together, listen to God's word, sit under its conviction together because nobody in this room is more convicted this week about this kind of thing than I am, okay? Uh, I want to encourage you that uh, you need to also share it with somebody in this church. You can do that for life groups, but I'm sure George will explain that here in a few minutes. Why don't we bow in prayer? God, uh, we sit beneath the weight of your word and realize, man, these people building this massive tower to make a name for themselves. While I don't like to think that's me, that is me, because I um, have so many good ideas. And um, when I don't have bad ideas, or sorry, when I don't have good ideas, I try to figure out one. And God, I am burdened. I'm burdened for my own children, and I'm burdened about, I guess I feel inferior as a parent. And... I need to start by going to you and say, God, will you please save my children? Will you have mercy on them? Will you teach them what is right and wrong? Will you um, teach them to love the people around them, to love their family, to love their neighbors? Will you teach them to be gracious in their speech? Will you um, uh, teach them to have tender hearts, to to be slow to anger? Um, Will you teach them to be gentle and and patient, and kind. God, because I am a failure at that. And uh, God, we sit beneath your weight of, the, 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 of your word this morning, and yet, God, we know that you love us. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for the grace you've extended by allowing us to approach this without feeling condemnation about it. And uh, we worship you this morning, God. Thank you for our church family which uh, I really believe you set apart here in this community to do great things. In your name I pray, amen. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Lakeside Podcast. If you have any questions at all about the message, if you have any struggles you're going through, or if you simply want to respond to what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website at lakesidelife.org and click on the contact page to let us know what's on your heart. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.